Hello and welcome to Stories for Grace Renee. This is an oral history podcast. In this series, you will hear stories of the lives of our family as told to my daughter, Grace Renee. The stories cover four generations, two continents, and a whole host of topics. I asked Grace if she wanted to make an intro for this podcast series, and she did. Here's what she had to say. I love to be with my family all day, but don't forget, I also have my friends at school, and then the see with Grace Renee is named after two formidable women, Grace, my grandmother, and Renee for her father's grandmother. So I thought it was fitting to choose a story from Grace's own grandmother for our first episode. She is also a formidable lady. So this is Grace's grandmother, who is African-American, discussing her own experiences in the fight for racial justice in the United States. Well, with all of the unrest and racial racial tension that's going on in the world today, I was reflecting on the 1960s as it compares to what's going on in the today in the 2020s. I, as a child growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, I did participate in several marches. And the march that stands out in my mind is the last march that Martin Luther King Jr. participated in and and organized on behalf of the garbage men of Memphis, Tennessee, who were on strike. And I remember very vividly being in the middle or toward the back of the march. And I'm to this day, I'm not really sure what happened in the front, but suddenly uh, we were walking, singing, we shall overcome, and then suddenly everybody started running from the front, which made the rest of us uh, run from the back, and that was, that. I thought about that when my granddaughter, who was uh, marching in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, last at the beginning of this month, who had a very similar experience with uh, marching. And I thought the more things change, the more they stay the same. And it's just amazing to me that in 2020, we are still trying to march for equal rights and against uh, police brutality that we marched against in the 1960s. And it just, 
I don't know how, it's very frustrating because you never know how to end it. And I've been reflecting on maybe some things that we could do that would help us to end it is that policemen or and or law enforcement have to begin to look at African-Americans as people. They need to look at us as maybe being their children, their relatives, their daughters, their sons, and maybe that would help them to begin to treat uh, African-Americans as people instead of treating them as objects, uh, pretty much like they said back in the 1800s when a slave was like two-thirds, I can't remember the exact number, but two-thirds of a person when they counted uh, the, um, the slaves on the plantations. And also, uh, people who are liberal need to stop saying that they don't see color. Because when you say that you don't see color, that means that you don't see who I am as an African-American person. You don't understand my situation or the history of my people because you have to see me because the first thing that you see or my first point of identity is that I am an African-American woman. And from there, we can begin to discuss uh, solutions to the problems that plague this country. We also have to teach children, or rather we should not teach children, that there are differences in people. And I think a lot of times I can reflect on, on uh, things that happened to my own sons as they were growing up. And they were often looked upon as being not quite as positive as... Um, other kids their age, but they were often smarter and better equipped to handle the things that the typical child were child was able to to hold to to deal with. So those are the those are the kinds of things that I reflect on as I look at what's happening in the world today, it's just mind-boggling that we're still saying, we sing in the song, we shall overcome, and that my grandchildren and my children are still dealing with the same issues that I had to deal with in the 1960s growing up in uh, the South, and now those uh, issues are plaguing us, not only just in America, but all over the planet. We're still dealing with the same issues. And I just hope that someday our, our world will be a much better place and that my grandchildren and great-grandchildren will never have to deal with the kinds of issues that we are currently dealing with in our society. 
What was it like to be part of that movement in the 60s? Well, it was very energizing at that time. I was a sophomore in college during most of the uh, unrest in the South. Um, In 1968, I was a sophomore at Lamont College. And that time was very energizing because you had people like Stokely Carmichael, Martin Luther King, um, visiting the college campuses, speaking on the college campuses. And so it was a very energizing time. Uh, We thought we could conquer the world. We knew that as a result of our marching and our protesting, we were going to change the world. Uh, Sadly, that did not happen, but that was the way that we felt uh, during that particular time. And how did your family feel about you being part of the movement? Was your mother supportive of you being out there protesting? Oh, no, definitely not. There was a big controversy in terms of who was the spokesperson for African Americans. Was it Martin Luther King or was it uh, Malcolm X? That whole controversy was sweeping the country uh, during the 60s. And at one point, Martin Luther King was considered a radical, but once Malcolm X came on the scene, uh, everyone, the powers to be, the people in the churches, began to embrace Martin Luther King. And many times my, my I look back at the um, riots that occurred uh, and, and demonstrations that occurred after Martin Luther King was killed. One of the things that um, my mother was adamant about was that my brother and I, and even my sister was a little bit younger, but my brother, she was adamant that my brother and I could not go downtown in Memphis to participate in any of those activities because there was a lot of fear. Just as people are fearing for their children now, there was a lot of fear then that once your child went out into the streets to protest, that you would either get a call that the child was in jail or worse, the child was in the hospital because it was just free reign when uh, uh, mass protests were going on. People were hurt. Even people lost their lives as a result of, of the protests. So no, there was not mass support, just as now. Most of us who participated in the marches, we were, the, we were in our uh, early 20s, 30s, and 40s, and there were some older people, but a lot of the people who were participating were younger people, just as they are today. But I do believe it was a, it, there's a much younger group participating now than there was even, and, and more uh, uh, racially mixed now as opposed to as, as it was in the uh, 60s. 
again, that's my take on it because you could talk to another person who would have a different opinion. But that's how I viewed it, uh, living in the segregated South in the 60s. So how would you get to a protest then if, if your mom didn't agree with you going? Well, once we went to school, um, we had a little bit more freedom. Remember, we were in college, but I went to a commuter college. We didn't have any residence halls. So a couple of times, she didn't even know we were there because uh, we went to school and the school would organize us to go downtown to participate in the marches. So she wouldn't even know about it and because there was not a very good um, social media uh, platform in those days. Sometimes she wouldn't even know we were there um, because they wouldn't show it on TV. But uh, we would leave school. Uh, we would go leave, get up in the morning, go to school, and once we got to school, we would be organized into going downtown to to protest. She probably doesn't want to hear that, but that's what we did. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be sure and ask her her opinion on all of this, don't worry. (laughs) So when uh, someone comes to you and says that your granddaughter is going to go down and protest now, what are your thoughts? What do you do? I brace myself and say, I hope she's going to be careful because it, it would be um, it would it would be hypocritical for me to say don't go when I know that I went. So my and I just pray. Okay, call me when she gets back home. Let me know that she's safe. But I, that's all I can do because I know how important it is. I just want her to be safe. That's all. And how did social justice come to be such an important part of of your life story? Okay. Well, I've, I've always felt that there were... I read a lot as a child. So having read a lot of novels like Native Son, Invisible Man... I knew that there were instances where, and having grown up in the South, I knew that there were instances where people like me were not treated the way that they should have been treated. I know that I felt very human, but often in my readings and often in the things that I saw in my neighborhood, we were not treated as humans. I grew up in a housing project and every month or every year, there was this big interview that we had to, where we had to prove that we were eligible to live in the housing project. And that included telling them who lived in the house, um, what were people doing, were any of us working. 
I also knew that my mother made $4 and bus fare uh, for cleaning people's houses. I know that I knew that my mother had no health care. Therefore, we had no health care. And those are the things that made me realize that there had to be a better way or that all people did not live that way. And that as a human, I should we should not be living that way. So that started me. And then when I went to college and, and saw a whole new world, even though I was at a historically black college, we focused, the focus on, there was a, a focus on bringing in speakers Every Wednesday, we had to go to chapel. It was required, but it wasn't chapel in the traditional sense, but there were people who were brought to the campus to give us a world view of life, and those things uh, helped me to form the the social justice uh, involvement that have shaped me even to this day. And you mentioned that you heard many different leaders of the movement speak. Which leaders resonated most with you? Well, I think I resonated more with Martin Luther King simply because he was kind of middle of the road in my mind. Um... Malcolm X was a little bit out there for me because basically I was a Christian. I could, I just, there was, I could not embrace some of the, while I agreed with some of the things that Malcolm X said, I was more wanting to have that American dream. And I think that Martin Luther King and his teachings uh, lead more toward, you know, that as opposed to the radical out uh, stances that um, Malcolm X was was advocating at the time. I did not dislike Malcolm X. It's just that I thought the path was the path that Martin Luther King laid out. Have you changed your mind at all now? No, not I have not. I still think that nonviolence is the best avenue to take. Some I don't believe in destruction of property, and I'm not saying that that's what Malcolm X was advocating. It's just that he was a little bit more radical than I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, I grew up basically reading books and being a nerd, so this was a safer path for me. Mm-hmm. You know, even now I think, um, though, even though I don't think either way works, I don't know what it takes to improve things, but uh, I still uh, would av- would be advocating the way that Ma- Martin Luther King. Um, preached and is there anything else you want Grace to know as part of this story no, 
I just, again, I just hope that someday we will. I never thought that I would live to see the first African American president. So maybe I will leave. I will live to see when we will begin to have more unity in this country. And unity doesn't mean that everybody thinks or believes or acts or behaves in the same way. It's just that you don't penalize people because they don't look like you or act like you, but you respect the fact that they are, that they are humans and all humans need to be respected and treated in a, in a more positive uh, manner. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories for Grace Renee. If you're enjoying this podcast series, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and think about leaving us a review so that others can find us. Also, a huge thank you to Audio Nautics for this version of Amazing Grace that we're using as our theme tune. And most of all, thank you to the family of Grace Renee. Thank you for your stories, your warmth, your laughter, and your love. <laughs>